0: Hope and Patience with Amelia Rope, a podcast about business, well-being and chocolate. Hello and welcome
1: to Hope and Patience with me, Amelia Rope. Our guest today is Perry Hayden Taylor, who founded his award-winning branding, design and marketing consultancy, Big Fish, back in 1994. So 26 years ago, which is a real example of an established business. Clients have included Sofa.com, which is how I connect with Perry, Dorset Cereals, Goo, Charlie Bigham, Smith, Biscuitiers, Yo Valley. I mean, the list just goes on. One thing that has absolutely captivated me while I was checking Perry out was that his children are even called after different typeface. So there's Perpetua, Helvetica and Clarendon. Welcome to Hope and Patience, Perry.
0: Thank you very much, Amelia. That's very nice of you to uh, invite me along.
1: I hope I got the pronunciation of your girls correct.
0: Perfect. Absolutely wonderful. And I'm sure they'll be delighted, uh, yet again, being richly humiliated in public about their names. Well, at uh, least
1: they're memorable.
0: Yeah, well, that was the whole point. You know, <laughs> so we didn't want to have anonymous children. But uh...
1: I, I think it's very cool. Perry, I would love you to tell me and the listeners how... Big Fish was created, where it all came from, whether it was your dream to do this, you know, your sort of driver.
0: Well, look, uh, cut a very long story short. I've always been unemployable. I was hopeless at school. And so it was always going to have to happen because no one was really going to give me a proper job. So uh, I I ended up going to uh, St Martin's School of Art. I was at Marlborough College and then left there, uh, messed up my A-levels apart from art, Uh, had a fantastic teacher there called Robin Child, who I actually wrote an article about recently. The most wonderful man who inspired me. And I think everybody needs someone in their lives to inspire them to sort of see what their metier is. And I ended up going to art school, left art school, uh, realised that actually the world of of design was a fantastic place where you could have a lot of fun and probably get away with murder uh, doing not much work. And I ended up working for actually the BBC to start with, learned a lot about publishing, then ended up going to work for a company, a magazine called Punch, uh, which was a, a, a weekly satirical magazine. And I met extraordinary people there, journalists and and politicians, all sorts of people and sat next to, uh, actually I sat next to, or just around the corner from uh, Hugh Fernley Whittingstall, who then was a journalist and, and a sub-editor. And, um, and I kind of realized that, that actually the really exciting thing in life uh, was meeting people, finding out lots of different things about them. Um, And I just wanted to follow a career that was going to make sure that I had lots of variety and excitement. And so I ended up leaving there, working for a company called Michael Peters, who were a pan-European brand design and marketing consultancy, and met my then, what I didn't realize was going to be a business partner, who was a friend called Lisa, who actually I'd been at school with. And about three years later, we set up Big Fish uh, with the single aim of enjoying every day of our lives doing what we loved, with people we respected and admired, um, who would basically make us look good. Um, So yes, it was a sort of chaotic journey towards what was an inevitable starting of a business, where we just literally wanted to have the freedom to do what we wanted to do with who we wanted to do it, and help people start uh, and transform and grow businesses.
1: And have you still got Lisa as your business partner, or do you now do it on your own?
0: Well, lovely Lise and I spent 10 years together and we are very good friends. She's now got lots of lovely children. And about 10 years in, we decided that actually we both wanted something slightly different, very amicably, bought her out and she stayed in the business for a year and, then, and now lives not that far away from me in the countryside. So she left, another old school friend of mine called Bill Barlow joined, and he used to be the finance director at John Lewis. And he was, you know, he's the brightest man on the planet and uh, he and i were having a beer one day and i'd just done a soundtrack fun enough for the goo cinema commercial that we'd done in the old chemical brothers studio in um oh, up, wow. in, up in kensal rise i think it was and uh, you know i met bill who i had been at school with at Marlborough, and uh, we had a beer that evening and he and i used to have joint guitar lessons together because we liked jamming and being crap musicians and um, i remember him saying how was your day and i said yeah it's bloody great bill actually i uh, just spent the day with these amazing musicians and uh you know doing this great ad for goo this good brand it was all really good fun how was your day and he said bloody shit i've you know been dealing with thousands of spreadsheets and actually i'm a bit bored of what i'm doing now and so he came and joined me and uh that was 15 or so years ago and uh so yes he's now my new business partner
1: For any of the listeners who haven't come across Big Fish, you will have done in their packaging. And and Perry and his eye, I mean, it's the team they create and they spin brands in the most phenomenal way. And I have to say that with my chocolate, I always dreamed of having Perry. And in this business, I've always dreamed of having Perry. Perry is the man um, to go to. You just need a bit of a budget. But Perry, you're a big fish, as far as I'm aware. You were very much one of the originators with communicating the brand message in a more personal and nuanced way with little messages and quotes and facts and diagrams. Where did you get the idea to do this?
0: Well, you're very kind uh, by saying all those things. I'm not sure it's true, but you're very kind. Uh, we, Because we started the business with the single intention of just working with people we loved and believed in and, and we thought would make us look good, frankly... We always realized we'll only ever be as good as our clients. So the important thing was to just work with the best people you could possibly find. And so the earliest clients were people um, who believed in us, quite extraordinary. And we met people, our very first client of note was Johnny Bowden. And wow. Johnny had just started you know, his business, not long before. And I, you know, the answer to the question is we learned everything we learned from our clients. We didn't really know what the hell we were doing. I'm, still, I'm sure we still do. We're very lucky that people like Johnny come into our lives uh, and Julian Granville, I don't know if you know him, but he, the, the remarkable people who started their businesses with with the kind of what, what Adam Morgan describes as intelligent naivety. They just decide, they look at a category and they say, look, that's rubbish. We, we, we've got to sort that out. And that's where the systemic kind of thing that binds all of the brands that you mentioned together. They're all... Founded by, or you know, their visions of individuals who are remarkable. And, mm-hmm. and all we've done is help them uh, tell their story to the world through whether it's a, you know, a piece of design work, quite most often in food and packet and food and drink, but also in clothing. And, and in the case of sofas uh, and flowers, you know, it's directly connecting with their consumers by doing basically common sense, not corporate bollocks. <laughs> sensible, interesting ways of talking to people through uh, whatever means they have available to them, whether that's a piece of packaging or a catalog or a website or an advert or whatever it is, or a podcast. (laughs) So a podcast. Yeah, which is probably the best, most exciting way of talking to people these days. But yeah, uh, the answer to the question is we're only, we've learned, all we've learned from our clients and the only trick that we have up our sleeves is to try and help Uh, you know, prevent marketing bollocks get in the way of their amazing stories and their great products.
1: And so course, Perry, lo- would-
0: everything looked beautiful. Sorry. and, and, and also- Yeah, I
1: mean, it is, you know, <laughs> I, I I um was a certain age this year, but I'm putting it on hold because of COVID. I've decided I'll just um, <laughs> remain in my old age. But anyway, I was sent this box by a cousin from Biscuteers and it's that whole unravelling, you know, you keep lifting another layer and another layer and then you get this surprise and it's that sort of wow factor without a whole load of BS, to be frank.
0: The secret that isn't a secret is that um, for the last 20 years, we've only ever told our clients at the beginning when we meet them, we, we, we meet these amazing people. So things that Lisa and I decided to do right at the beginning that's never changed was one, only work with people whose products and services that we would use ourselves. Because if you're not the consumer, how on earth can you connect mm-hmm. with them? So that, mm-hmm. that was rule number one. Rule number two is we would only work with people who would acknowledge our involvement, and actually, we asked for our credit to be put on just about everything we do very discreetly, which was quite a bizarre thing. No one ever I thought, one did that in those days. And I mean, not many people do now. And so we only marketed ourselves. We're terrible at our own marketing, as you've probably noticed, by people seeing the work. And then they would discover this little saying, you know, just created by Big Fish uh, somewhere. And those that, that, you know, our vibe attracted our tribe. And so the cumulative effect was all of these people would turn up and we would only, we'd say, well, how the hell are we going to help these people? And we we're complete amateurs. We don't know what we're doing. Uh, so we basically created five simple questions that we ask every single client. And the first one is, why the hell do you get out of bed in the morning to do this? You know, what's the purpose of mm-hmm. this brand? And I think that's been made very famous by Simon Sinek, who's, who's a phenomenal yeah, yeah. guy. And, and years later, he came up with his brilliant sort of circle. And we thought, well, that's fantastic because we've been asking that for years. And that's an even better way of doing it. The second question is, do you know who you're targeting, who your audience is and, and, and why you want those people? And the third question we ask is, what do you want those people to think, feel and and actually do? And, and once you've answered those three questions, the fourth one is, how are you going to make those people think, feel and do those things, which is in fact your tactics, you know, the, the, you know what, what, what tactics are you going to employ? And then the fifth question is very simple, which is, and, and how are you going to measure success? And we don't just mean in profit, but in terms of you know, all sorts of things, success for the consumer, for the planet, and obviously for the business and the people you employ. And we've been using those five questions to form our briefs. And and anyone we work with has to go through that process with us. And and that is a really powerful thing. And it sounds incredibly simple to just answer five questions, but actually the facilitation of doing that and listening to people think out loud in the company of others and harnessing their collective genius as, as teams and sort of surfacing the great bits and playing it back to them, sometimes gets people to sort of really rethink how they're talking to the world and how they're expressing themselves as a brand. And that's what we do. Uh, And and sometimes that can be really so emotionally powerful. You end up people sort of, you know, in tears and kind of going through epiphanies. It's amazing because they are all brilliant. Sometimes they just don't know how brilliant they are. Do you think
1: that's a secret to your, to having the business for sort of 26 years is the way that you do this, Uh, the way that you uh, extract the information from the founders and their teams, and then you put your sort of big fish icing on it.
0: Well, you know, you mentioned biscuiters, you know, and, and and other brands like Freddy's. I think, yes. We
1: I forgot definitely... to mention Freddy's, Freddy's flowers. Sorry, Freddy. yeah, you did mention it earlier. You mentioned it earlier. Oh, did I? You said,
0: yeah, no, I you did. But before
1: it, we recorded, before we recorded, oh, right. I forgot oh, no, about no, no. lovely oh, yeah. Freddy.
0: Lovely Freddy's flowers. Yeah. No, the 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 question you asked which is you know do we think that's the secret to our success or to our client's success because we're only successful to clients i think yes i think anybody can give you a list of questions getting the answers out means being you know there is some you know experience and skill involved in that and i suppose we're not ones for blowing our own trumpet but i would say that i'm pretty proud of what we've managed to achieve because a lot of people are frightened of clients. In our business, we have clients. You know, we're we're we, we are in a service industry, and if you don't speak truth to power uh, when it comes to clients, if you don't tell them stuff, I mean, one ex- one example would be Jim Arvedeek, uh who's the founder of Goo, who, I, yep. who you might know actually. Yeah. So you know, really, he always said, "I love coming here, Perry, because it's like getting it's like sort of getting a Turkish bath. You know, one of those guys where you know they beat you up." <laughs> Uh, you know, get a good old get a good old beating up and you come out feeling kind of invigorated. And you know I remember so when he first came to see me we created I created a brand called goo chocolate Puds for him uh, from which is a startup.
1: Massive yummy lethal puddings.
0: yeah yeah exactly that was a very long time ago and, and I've always loved startups. I think start, I've, I, I've, my thing is you know every business, no matter how big they should be, should always think like a startup. And so the secret to our success has not only been just you know, asking the right questions and getting people to answer them in a particular way and think deeply about them, but also to adopt a sort of startup mentality. And that's one of the things that we've really built, which is inherent in everything we do and trying to remind you know, all businesses, whether they're starting or transforming or, or, or growing, that they need to think like a startup. And I remember with Jim, he came to us and said, I want to start this, uh, hello, you know, I want to start this business called the Belgian Chocolate Company. And I'd never met Jim, Charlie Bigham introduced me to Jim, um, you know, and sort of very kindly referred him. And uh, I sort of sat in this room with this very chap, very likable guy, uh, Jim's a great guy, and we have become great friends. And I, at the time, I sort of thought, I'm listening to this guy tell me he wants to start the Belgian Chocolate Company. He's got a great product, but he hasn't made it yet. And so I just thought I'd give it to him straight. And I said that, Jim, I'm really sorry, but that name just sounds like, you know, something, I mean, I think I used a terrible phrase, like it's it sort of conjures up images of granny smelling of pea and lavender talc type chocolate, not, <laughs> you know, grape chocolate. Uh, it's the Belgian chocolate company is the kind of name that anybody would just sort of gloss over. You need a name that's gonna really stick into people's minds. You need a brand that's gonna mean something. You know, what's the purpose behind this brand? I started asking him the five questions and I was quite rude about <laughs> about everything he'd done, Talk <laughs> about. And I sort of got to the end of it. I thought, shit, I've been really rude, actually. I've been quite punchy. And he said, oh, I, I, I bloody love it. Great. Yeah, fantastic. And I realised he was a lovely masochist. And, and actually, I realised that that was probably something we should do more with our clients. So we have. So we've got a bit of a reputation for being quite punchy. But we always mean it with good intention.
1: What, Perry, do you think has challenged you most so far? And what have you learnt from it?
0: As a business owner, the challenge for me has been to try and steer a ship and maintain the integrity of what we do and not get greedy and you know run off and i mean i said i'm never going to sell the business but i think from a you know probably more interesting point of view for your audience the, the brands that we've worked with the most challenging ones for me have been when we've gone into new categories where before there hasn't been any precedent set. So I think you mentioned Rowan Blacker, I mean, who is one of my all time favorite people. I've got a lot of favorite people and my daughter says you can only have one favorite, but I, you know, I love, I love so many people that we've worked with. Rowan is particularly special because he and Pat, uh, who obviously Mm. you know well, you knew well and sadly Mm. is no longer with us. When they came to me, First of all, with Deliverance, which was their food business, Now you, you did your business yeah. with Rowan, which is great, and then sofa.com. You know, both of those ideas just didn't exist in the world. And when Rowan said to me, I'm going to sell sofas online, I said, Are you batshit crazy? Are you absolutely mad, bro? <laughs> and then, uh, you know, and sure enough, he wasn't mad, and we had a great time and we did it together. And that was a big challenge. I still think today that was one of the best things that I've ever been involved in because of the people, because of the challenge and what we did and how we achieved it. You know, the brand identity, they were just so good to work with. They gave me so much rope to hang myself with. We did the most insane eight days in the most beautiful sunshine down just outside Marlborough. And we had race horses with amazing models. We hung sofas out of trees. We just did this crazy stuff. And just said, look, we've got to make this remarkable. We've got to make people, you know, sofas are bloody boring. And um, we've got to make them exciting and fun and 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 whimsical. And we've got to, we've got to catch people's attention. And I think that's what the secret to any of brand's success is, is you've just got to make life as extraordinary as you can. And now the focus isn't just that, actually, rather more focused now on our big new challenge, which is to really try and, I'm going to phrase it, I don't know if you can use this, but to unfuck the planet. Because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of what we've done over the last 25 years has been, you know, has had a lot of unintended consequences. Um, A lot of the brands we've worked with have been amazing and extraordinary and still are. But I think we're all guilty of doing things that we had no idea would have such horrific consequences. And, you know, I feel pretty personally upset about that. And so do my daughters, you know, especially my eldest one, who was the one who really woke me up a few years ago and said, you know, Mm is this really right? So I think, you know, you could be kind of furrowed brow and rather depressed about that if you want to be, or take what we're doing, (laughs) which is to say, this is a phenomenal opportunity to actually do something amazing. Yes. You can, you can sit there and sob and say, we're all knackered, and the world's on a terrible trajectory, or you can say, well, actually, this is a phenomenal opportunity to do something about that. And I think we are, and perhaps you know we're, we're a deluded optimists in some way, but we are in an extraordinary position of power in the decisions that we make with the owners of the businesses that we work with, that where we can really change, make a big difference because we have such extraordinary influence on not millions but hundreds of millions of products that go out every every week. So yeah, it's a very exciting time, and the startup mentality that we've always adopted, I think now. I, I, I'm urging all the brand owners that we work with to think deeply and our mantra now is think big, dive deep, swim fast, but to really think deeply about the choices that they're making on behalf of their consumers. and not just to make everything beautiful and lovely, but also to make it responsible and to be make sure that they're around in the next hundred years.
1: That's fantastic. I mean, it, yeah, it's something that we all have to take responsibility and ownership of it. And as you say, we can all sort of stop, sob away and moan about it, or we can be active and, and help unfuck, as you say, the planet. <laughs> How do you sustain your motivation?
0: If you ask my family, my wife or anyone who works with me, I am an absolute nightmare. I wake up at an insanely early hour, and I just love every day waking up to, you know, new conundrums. So my motivation is: I'm a terrible, you know, I'm terribly excited about shiny new things. I'm a, I'm a hopeless, complete finisher. So personally, what I do is I, I leap out of bed every morning like an enthusiastic puppy, wagging his tail, relishing the thought of being able to speak to some exciting new person or the exciting people that we currently work with about their latest challenges or their latest opportunities. I tend to ask three questions every day, which is, what's the challenge or what's the opportunity? How can we help? And and where's the work going to live? So for me, the thing that really motivates me is the idea of seeing tangible differences uh, happen quickly. But now what I'm really interested in is the next 25 years, I'm really interested in drawing down carbon and seeing how, you know, what we can do. I don't know if you know about project drawdown, but no. Okay. So about three years ago, I sat down thanks to my children, my wife and various people saying, is this really what you want to be doing for the next 25 years? And I sat down with a chap called Rob Miller, who works with me. And Rob and I said, look, you know, what is it that we need to be doing that's fundamentally gonna make the biggest difference in the next 25 years? And as a business, how can we help better serve that? And we spent, you know, months, you know, every Monday, in a sort of locked room all day, trying to sort of fathom out a strategy. I know uh, sod's law is, of course, you finish your day, you're knackered. And I was sitting on platform nine, Clapham junction, thinking, oh, we haven't really cracked, well, we've cracked this, but we haven't really kind of nutted it out. What's the the root of all this and i bumped into this somebody was sitting next to me an american lady uh we were sort of the train was late and stri- as always i like to strike up conversations with strangers i think that's really important uh, have lots of conversations uh, things happen and um she asked me what i've been doing you know she said how you know how's your day been and i said oh, actually i've had a great day i've been thinking about my company what was, how's your day been and she said great and she then asked me a question she said what do you do and i told her and then after about five minutes we had a really interesting chat I said, I want to you know, help save the world and make the world a better place. We're really looking at sustainability, but there's just so many things. Every time you look at everything, it's just a, this sort of ball of strings to untangle. There's a thousand things that need to be done. And she said, have you ever come across Paul Hawken in his book, Project Drawdown? And I said, no. She then said, well, you really ought to read that. And I think she was, I think she was a biomechanical engineer at MIT or or had been or something. Anyway, she we said our farewells. I got on the train, I looked this up, and I realized that this was absolutely the best thing, piece of advice I'd ever been given. And when you look at Project Drawdown, quite simply, their mission is to try and draw down enough carbon it so said that we reach net zero in twenty five years, and and back then that was you know not new. But the fact was that Paul Hawken had gone round to all of the world's greatest scientists, uh, the sort of non profit sector of society, and asked them to prioritize what they thought would make the biggest difference. And then they published a book of all of their findings, and they modeled everything, and they came up with about eighty initiatives and a very simple pie chart that said, these are, the, these are the biggest things that will make the biggest difference. And a lot of those things in the top 10 were involved, revolved around things that I'm involved in, food and drink, energy, supply chain, refrigeration. And I just thought, wow, someone's written the rule book here. We just need to, to abide by that. And so that's what we're doing.
1: Who is the person who keeps you in check? and pushes back on you saying, that's crazy or, you know.
0: Great questions. You're very good at this. This is, is, um, look, obviously my wife, Vic. So I have the most incredible wife, Vic, who we've been together 20 years last week, actually. She's my first go-to person. She's she's the voice of reason. She's insanely bright. And so I listen to her, obviously. I also listen to my children a lot. They are, I, I think that if you really want to know the answer to any question, if you want someone to speak truth to power, yeah, you know, ask a four-year-old. <laughs> They've grown up a bit now. My eldest is 18 and my youngest is 12. But I always Correct. ask the children because they just tell you how it is. Um, and then in business, the people I really look up to and listen to the most are probably a chap called Will Kernan. His background is he ran things like New Look, uh, The White Company. Uh, he then turned mm. around Wiggle and Chain and built that into an amazing uh, business. He's got the Midas touch. He's now actually sort of dealing with turning this huge. I think it's £12 billion uh, family business into a sort of sustainable business. I mean, that's an extraordinary person. Uh, Julian Granville and Johnny have been immensely important and Rowan as well. But there are so many people, Charlie Biggham, all of my clients. I I think I just, I mean, I feel I shouldn't probably say this, should I? I'm going to shoot myself in the foot. But (laughs) <laughs> uh, it's, 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 it's quite outrageous that we actually charge them any money because they, you know, they do most of the work. <laughs> well,
1: then you have shot yourself in the foot, Perry. They will all be saying, fine, you can do it for free.
0: Bastards, yeah. Well, uh, I okay, the, uh, do, yeah.
1: digging a little deeper into you, Perry, I have that sort of inner critic that can be quite harsh at times. Do you ha- ever have that sort of inner critic that sort of sharpens you up?
0: Uh, well, okay, so yeah, you've hit a nerve there. I mean, I I have that every second of the day. For many years, everybody would say, well, what's the whole secret behind Big Fish internally? They would say, well, because Perry's on a relentless pursuit of better um, on behalf Mm. of the consumer. And I think that's true. And the thing is, it's a a state of constant dissatisfaction. (laughs) So So do you have a chat back to
1: it saying, get off my case? Or do you just, I I mean, probably mental... Chat, uh, internal chat bat rather
0: than... Well, I'm a total head case. So, I mean, no, no I think the... Join practice, the club. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah, I think all creative people, you know, poor old Ken Robinson died. I mean, what an amazing man he is. And I, I just subscribed to the, the, sort of Sir Ken's theory years ago, which is creativity is without question the, the greatest thing that we have. Mm. Um, and, you know, from whether it's a child or an adult, that nurturing that is... It's vital, and I, I sort of luxuriate in, in that, and and I think that the, that the only thing that's difficult is not for me because I love it. It's for the people around me. <laughs> uh, I think it's exhausting for them. So yeah, the, the impact that it has uh, is not so much on my sort of mental state of being constantly dissatisfied because I quite enjoy that.
1: I am revving up, Perry. I don't know about you, but I'm revving up for this chocolate break but just a quick fire round that I'm going to hurl at you that's just a simple one answer. Optimist oh or pessimist? Optimist. Introvert, extrovert, ambivert?
0: I don't even know what ambivert means, extrovert. Ambivert
1: <laughs> been... is a melange.
0: It's a okay, okay, sorry, yes, I'm definitely both. Yeah, I'm...
1: Perfectionist or non-perfectionist?
0: Ask my wife. Perfectionist, but pathetic at finishing.
1: <laughs> Have you got your chocolate bar?
0: I, I, you know, it was a difficult question, and yes, I have. I have I have actually my German chocolate bar, volnus Yeah, okay,
1: so we're going <laughs> to... So, Perry, <laughs> you have picked the dark one, haven't you? The dark hazelnut bar.
0: The whole homeless, yes. Before you open it, you have to do the Knick Pack. <laughs> this is why... What this the is heck's a... that? So, so the, the Ritter Sport Bar. So, Ritter are a client of ours. They're lovely German family oh, business. Yeah, so this is why I picked it, because the Ritter family are amazing. They've been around donkey's years. They're a family business. And the reason that they, they they made their bars square was because one of the ladies, I think it was the granny, noticed some young boys running around, you know, many moons ago uh, playing football and thought they needed some energy. And so she designed a, a square bar of chocolate that would fit in their little sports jackets so they could have some energy so they could play football and games. So they made these square bars of chocolate. And they're really an amazingly innovative company, and they designed the pack so that you could snap them open at the back. So you turn it over. Oh, that's
1: really clever. And okay. it's called the
0: Knick Knick Pack, and you snap it, and it, and it basically instead of it it's snapped. and it's designed to share. So you snap it.
1: That's and share so it. sweet. Now oh, I, I can't share now. mine because I've eaten most of it, well, yeah, and yeah. so oh, I'm yummy. gobbling it up. But that's really neat. Now, what makes me laugh, Perry, was that I had those facts to to spiel out and it's great oh, you've shit. done it for me ruined. No, <laughs> you haven't because it's great that you know all about Ritter Sport right we've got to rev on so the next little section Perry what are your thoughts on success and failure
0: yeah good question well I think let's start with <laughs> failure I think that without failure there can be no success I'm a great believer that failures are probably the things that are more important because you learn from them if you're not failing, you know that you're not trying hard enough. I mean, we have hundreds of silly slides and sort of games that we play with our clients to try and get them to come out of their shell and speak truth about things rather than marketing
1: bullets. Mm, so interesting.
0: And one of the things I ask about is, you know, tell us about your failures, what's not worked. And people are, you know, it's really important to get the balance of optimism, um, sort of deluded optimism, measured against practical realities. I always say that a vision without a plan is just. Hallucinations, basically. You know. I've,
1: had, I've had those, sadly, yeah. in so, my early so, days. <laughs> yeah.
0: Anyone can have a vision, but you've got to yeah, have a yeah. plan, and and it, yeah. and then actually, if you don't implement that plan, it's still just a bloody plan. Yeah. yeah. So for me, starting with failure, it's a vital part of success, and and I think that in failure we learn our best lessons, and they're quite painful sometimes. So for me, you know, measuring success, as I said earlier, I am a bit of a relentless pursuit of better person, and so therefore. Success is normally measured for me on a rolling basis in a number of different ways. Quite often it's in in strange ways. But yeah, I think uh, for me, the best way to measure success is to not look at the lack of failures, but to look at the differences and comparable differences that you can make. We we have something called a coach taught me once, a very lovely lady called Amanda Pelham-Green. Who, by the way, I should have mentioned earlier, because she's been a great mentor for me as a coach. And she asked me to fill out something called an ambition wheel. I said, what the hell's bloody, what's that? (laughs) And she said, right, I just draw a circle. And right around the edge of the circle, write up, you know, the things that you want to achieve in the next however many years you want to think about it. So I said, okay, I'll do a long one. You know, I'll do some in the 25 years and some this year. And so I wrote eight things around the edge of the circle. And then she said, okay, right, now from the middle of the circle, draw a line to the, each one of those things that represents how far you are to achieving those things. <laughs> and I didn't draw many lines. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, do you think you might be a little over-ambitious? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we work together, and, uh, and I've used that in the company now. So we have a company ambition wheel, and then we each have department ambition wheels, and then than individual ambition wheels that all sort of ladder up to the, to the main one. So success for me is how long are those lines on my ambition wheels (laughs) and how long were they last year? And, and, and can I see a tangible difference? And also how many times can I keep replacing those things around the edge of the circle? (laughs) I would sort of think cash is just a, it's like a school report. It's just a symptom of success and actually Cash is very important because it gives you freedom. It gives you it gives you oxygen to do the things that perhaps you know are harder to do without the, the freedom of cash. So we've never borrowed any money in twenty six years. We've always operated on Well cash done, flow. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> then have yeah, just got a bloody big hard. mortgage.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, cash cash flow, and I mean, hats off to you on that one. I mean, that is incredible.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think you know, for, for certain businesses, debt's fantastic. But for what we were doing, it meant we couldn't say no. And saying no is probably the greatest strength in our business. It's, mm-hmm. is, it's actually turning away clients because they're not the right clients. And they might be brilliant yep. clients for somebody, yep. but just not for us. Earn, learn and have fun is why you come and come work at Big Fish. And, um, Great. yeah.
1: So we are now going ahead into the well-being section. Uh-huh. We're going to find out from Perry how he keeps healthy. <clears throat> Uh, there's a little laugh from Perry in the background there. Yeah. So actually, I was reading um, about a celebrity trainer who is called Harry Jameson. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he is—he uh, has a new take on wellbeing and fitness, which is he looks at gut health alongside the physical health because he thinks that both tie in together. So if you're physically fit, your gut is physically fit. And he's all about having these not this sort of hit exercise but having going for a long run or a long so cycle ride or a long walk and apparently it's beneficial for um, our well-being what do you do with looking after yourself Perry have you seen that it's changed over time do you give it greater priority now
0: massively so I am incredibly lazy when it comes to doing exercise and that sort of stuff my brother-in-law, Who's also a lovely chap. He, He's—they have a business called Mother, which is an advertising agency. He's a guy called Andy Med. He and I met each other many years ago because we're great lovers of surfing. In fact, actually, my original chosen career was to be a professional surfer. Uh, unfortunately, I grew up in Jersey above a surf bay, and I spent sort of six, seven hours in the water uh, surfing uh, every day, doing bugger or all but that. Um, unfortunately I was a crap surfer and I never entered the competition because I hated losing so that was that career path that's gone so the point is I only really like doing exercise when I'm not really noticing that I'm doing exercise when I'm having fun so um so for so me what
1: exercise would that yeah, be
0: so, so Andy Med turned me from a fat slob into a slightly less fat slob a lean machine a few years ago where he I am doing things that are they're outdoors. I don't like being in... I never go to a gym. And so I, I think um, he made me go ski touring with Rowan, actually, funnily enough. I dragged Rowan along. We that would have hilarious. Yeah. And th- instead of doing it normally, like most people, we just start off sort of on a little baby slope. He took us up to something called oh. the Grand Paradiso, which is like 4,000 metre mountain. And both Rowan and I... Well, I mean, I failed so dismally, uh, you know, after the first 1,000 metres, but I think I spent two days and then I was knackered. But yeah, I like, I like doing things that are outdoor, you know, get outside because actually you mentioned the theory about gut health. I mm-hmm. completely agree that, you know, eat well, you know, live well, sleep well, and get outdoors and have, you know, connect with the real world. Um, I, I can't bear being inside gyms and doing weights. I-, I had personal trainers that used to turn up to my house on a Monday, uh, In fact, there there's this lovely guy called Matt and m- my wife, Vic bought me for my birthday because I was so fat. And my friends were saying, you know, Perry's just totally gonna die of a heart attack and he's a hyper contract. So that's not good. So she bought me for my birthday. She said, darling, I have bought you your birthday present. It's a personal trainer and he's outside now. And it's, you know, eight, eight o'clock in the morning. And I and I lay in bed with a cup of tea and a piece of toast. I went, well, I think you're gonna enjoy your new session. And I went, what? I said, I'm not bloody going down there. <laughs> so poor Vic. Then, having done this lovely thing of buying me the personal trainer, you know, for once a week, for a few weeks, then ended up running around the garden with this guy because she was so embarrassed that I refused to come out to play. <laughs> but um, so,
1: are you doing any regular exercise? Pat? Yeah.
0: So, 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 yeah, so, I, I cycle, I swim. and We're very lucky down here in Somerset. You know, we've got mm-hmm. a lovely home. I actually go running, but I'm crap at all of them. But um, I love it, and and actually, you're, interestingly, the theory that your chat that you mentioned earlier talked about, there's an amazing guy called I can't remember his name actually, but he wrote a book called "Hacking the American Dream." He was a psychologist, I think, and he basically has this rule called the four C's, which I kind of agree with when it comes to well-being. And he says that after thirty odd, thirty-five years of watching Americans, you know, with terrible diets and you know all sorts of issues. He's come to the conclusion that there's a sort of the route to happiness is built on four C's. And the four C's he talks about are the ability to cope, the ability to um, cook, or coping, cooking, feeling of contribution, and connecting. And, and it's all built around serotonin enhancement of the fact that we're only as good as our hormones that make us feel how we do. And that in order to sort of heighten our happiness and well being, At the heart of it, this sort of serotonin hit that you get from eating foods that are high in tryptophan, I think they're called, Um, you know, Mm -hmm. eating the right foods, but also the the mere act of cooking and connecting with people. We get that lovely social interaction, which you don't get on social media, ironically. Social media prompts adrenaline, you know, because you're excited about someone liking a post or responding. But When you physically or
1: your disillusion when yeah, they or, or the lack parents. of, the,
0: or the tumbleweed, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but 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 when you actually meet people, that's I think the biggest problem with COVID is that when you actually meet people, it's a bit like patting a dog. You get a rush of a serotonin you're physically <laughs> yeah, in the you presence of somebody. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and actually, you know, even talking to people like this, it, it, conversations, I think, you know, could be the fifth C.
1: Do you ever get stressed, Perry?
0: Oh, massively. um, So
1: how does it affect you? Does it make you short-tempered or does it make you, um, I don't know, quiet? Or I can't believe you'd ever be quiet. No, no.
0: never. I literally talked in my sleep, my poor wife. Uh, So Bill uh, Barlow had a brilliant line. He's a man of few words, but when he says anything, they mean something. And I remember he said, Perry, you do get quite stressed. Uh, There's no doubt. You need to know that there are two types of stress. There's stress... And there's suck stress. <laughs> I was like, what? He said, yeah, there's there's stress, which is like just general stress. And then there's suck stress. Suck stress through success. <laughs> that's what you suffer from, <laughs> which is this sort of, I, I, I know what he meant, which is a, it's this sort of, it's good stress. You know, it's good stress. Constant
1: achieving, that... pushing, striving.
0: Yeah, I think they push themselves. And I think that that's sort of almost like, I suppose, a sports person. Yeah, it's, it's a different kind of stress. But, yes, I do get stressed, and I like to play the piano and sort of you know do mindful things in music that, uh, oh, that, that I, I can piano. get me into flow and just, um, yeah, I'm having piano lessons, which is great.
1: <laughs> Perry, could you recommend a book for the listeners? I know you mentioned earlier on Adam. Um, I can't remember the name of his book. Was it Eating the Big, eating yeah, the e- big eating Fish? Yeah,
0: Eating the Big Fish. Um, so so that's quite an old book, but it's still as relevant to today. And, I and think
1: Adam, what's his surname again?
0: Adam Morgan. I mean, there are so many books I could recommend that it's hard to know. But I, I would say that there's no doubt that Adam Morgan and Seth Godin books, any books written by those guys are amazing. Mm-hmm. Seth Godin is, I love books like that by people who talk about you know business, but in a way that doesn't feel like business. That They talk about human side of business. So I'd say Eat the Big Fish, any book by Seth Godin. Um, there's a brilliant book that I met a wonderful guy the other day called David Gluckman, who is mm-hmm. 82, and he invented Bailey's Irish Cream. And he has oh, written a book. for him. Yeah. And he's written a book called That Shit Will Never Sell. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, 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 and it's brilliant. And I can, and I, I'm actually halfway through it at the moment, uh, but it's, it's got lots of pictures and it's about basically the brands that he's over the years. He, he, he is the father of so many extraordinary brands. In fact, actually, we're hopefully working on a project that, uh, well, who knows, we've become instant buddies. Um, I love it when you meet people, you just instantly gel. Um, but yeah. I know that, that, exciting, that shit will, it? Yeah, it's so nice.
1: I think we're probably going to have to have a second episode with Perry. There's just so much to extract from you. Um, Perry, just very quickly, what advice would you give people setting up their own business, especially in this new sort of COVID-19 era?
0: My advice generally is I wouldn't worry about COVID in terms of starting up a business, because starting up a business, you know, things will always be either great or shit. And there's never a good time to start a business. It's like planting a tree. The best time to plant a tree was 50 years ago. So the best time to start a business was probably 50 years ago. Okay, you know, so let's just get on with it. That's my first piece of advice. The second thing would be to ask those five questions. You know, really know why, why you're doing it. And what do you genuinely want to leap out of bed every morning and, and, and enthuse and get excitement? Or are you trying to make money out of your hobby? And if you're trying to make money out of your hobby, don't do it, just keep it as a hobby. It'll cost you a fortune and you'll have a whole bunch of misery. Really know who it is that your first ten customers are going to be, or your first customer. Really think about the minimum viable product, the minimum viable audience, and and really focus on those. Don't think about five years down the line. Think about tomorrow and the week after at the beginning, uh, because ultimately you're going to need those customers to be your marketeers. Don't go and raise lots of money. In fact, you know, hold on to your equity as much as you can. And we've taken stakes in businesses. One of the things we do is we share risk with. Quite a lot of our clients. Well, not quite a lot, but the ones where it's appropriate. And it's always important to remind people the value of, of, the, of a company, you know, at the outset. It's worth nothing and worth a lot to you, but it's worth nothing to yeah. anyone else. And then there's a tipping point. And, and so I would counsel people to just value the equity at the beginning so that you don't go rushing around dishing it out so that you end up being you know 5% shareholder in the business that you build. Really think hard about and actually set a date, write a check to yourself for a thousand pounds, post or whatever the modern day equivalent of that is, post date it to the time when you're going to take that out of the bank of your business account as a dividend and bloody make it happen. You know, don't start talking about, we're all never going to make a profit. Make sure you know the day when that company is going to pay you that first thousand pounds. When is the first thousand pounds going to actually come out of your bank? That's a really key thing, you know, and just maintain, A startup mentality to the day you die. Just don't ever think that the world isn't full of companies that are about to come and eat your lunch. The paranoia is there's always somebody who's better than you, faster than you, leaner than you, and they are, they're out to get you. Um, So I'm afraid that is the fish. (laughs) Fish survive because they're scared and they swim away.
1: They swim away. So Perry, in the sort of closing of this episode, where have you had to experience hope in your life? And can you share a time where you had to have a lot of patience?
0: This is a very personal thing. I mean, I've had to experience hope when my wife got cancer. And uh, that was the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And I think when that, you know, sadly this happens to so many people and that was seven years ago in Touchwood, I say Touchwood, wood, we, you know, she was diagnosed with breast cancer and, you know, completely out of the blue and I thought, wow, you know, I just didn't know what the, the train hit me and there's nothing you can do. We, we got through that and then she was diagnosed again uh, a few years later with a new one and that really hit, hit us. And I think Hope throughout all of that, you know, the power of her positive uh, reaction to it, her extraordinary, the whole family and everyone and all our friends and everyone at work, their extraordinary mm. ability to get us through that has, has made me realise that there is there should always be hope. And, you know, it's very easy to become despondent, as I said earlier. And I think that's that's something that I hope no one has to experience, but I'm afraid it's all too common. So I've learned more about hope in that episode than anything else. And in terms of patience, I am notoriously impatient. <laughs> so I think... You know we've just hired a new md and uh i've, I've given him a year to make me redundant <laughs> so i can, so i said I Simon, said, so i'm going on holiday in a year's time with vic when our last child leaves home to go off to school and we've got to be empty nesters uh, i think i might have to be patient on that one but <laughs> it's a bit like waiting for christmas um but yeah i want to i want to get excited about lots of projects um that's currently the role of md has prevented me from doing within Big Fish so I'm looking forward to being the the man who goes out running around making Big Fish even more more notorious perhaps and more able to help uh, so I'm gonna to have to be patient so I'm looking forward to that new role in a 12 months time but I'm gonna to have to be very patient.
1: And um, Perry where can our listeners find out more about Big Fish and also more about you I feel that you're very Active on LinkedIn, I love seeing what you're chatting about on LinkedIn. Um, but where where can they find out
0: more? Embarrassingly, we are absolutely hopeless at our own marketing. So our website is seven years out of date. <laughs> so, oh dear! So we're like cobblers with shoes, uh, you know, with holes in their shoes. So uh, yeah, they can look at uh, www.bigfish.co.uk which hopefully will soon be significantly uh, more up to date and you'll actually be able to use it on the mobile phone, which is rather embarrassing. And then, yeah, I think the LinkedIn thing is, I found that in, especially during uh, lockdown, that it's been a really helpful tool to keep in touch with people. And, and actually LinkedIn, you know, is an amazing forum. So yes, I have a LinkedIn, uh, Page that I kind of update as regularly as I can, trying to, I think the great thing about LinkedIn is that you can share so many different things and discover so many different things. It's a it's an extraordinary tool.
1: So before we say goodbye to Perry, I would like to give you my book recommendation and quote for this episode. The book I'm gonna recommend is Gifts from the Sea by Anne Morrow Lindbergh. It's a book which is really modern-day meditations and reflections inspired by shells that she found or, or things revolving around the ocean when she was uh, taking a break by her beach house. And they are on youth, age, love, and marriage, solitude, peace, and contentment, and they are absolutely superb. And the quote is from the author Marie Forleo, Everything is Figureoutable, is her book, and it's I Win or I Learn, But I Never Lose. So I'd love to say thank you so much to the wonderful Perry. Well,
0: thank you. It's been an honour, a privilege and a pleasure.
1: That sounds like a strap line that you, uh, uh, you reel out uh, on everything. Uh, I'll no. listen to you on other podcasts and I'll think, oh, there he goes again.
0: No, I, I didn't actually literally just came up with that one. I wasn't, uh, I'm now really embarrassed. Oh, <laughs> bloody, no. ma- bloody marketing. It's always in triplets, isn't it? Everything comes in threes. <laughs> I like three. What is tasty, and real. <laughs> okay, so
1: hold on. I'm just going to do this last bit. Okay. A huge thank you for finding the show. I hope you enjoyed the chat. Don't forget to subscribe to get the latest episode. And if you're enjoying the show, it would be truly fab if you could rate and review it. Any book recommendations, quotes, songs can be found in the show notes and on the website too. So until the next time, however tough the times get, keep that inner sparkle you have.
0: Hope and Patience with Amelia Rope. Join the conversation at hopeandpatience.co.uk Find Amelia on Facebook at Hope and Patience or on Twitter and Instagram at Amelia underscore rope.